You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Arthur Parkinson, and my friend, Sarah Raven. Today, me and Sarah are planning what we're going to be doing in the evening or the afternoon or even the morning when it comes to outdoor entertaining. And when it comes to entertaining, it's not necessarily having a party. It's simply about making the garden, making everything edible or drinkable special. So by using the garden as a space to eat in and have a beautiful time in also using what we're growing whether it's floral or indeed edible in terms of herbs or even veg to complement what we're serving from the kitchen and how we can make our gardens just make everything more alive so sarah you're far better at this than i am so how do you make everything special when it comes to the simplest thing in the garden Well, I always think with a sort of decoration, which is maybe where we'll start, because that's, I guess, where you and I would start. You can either have a cut flower arrangement as a table centre or a living pot. And so I'm going to start with cut flowers. And one of the things that I've often been given a hard time about when I used to do weddings more is the caterers would say, well, where's the room for our food? (laughs) (laughs) Because I would always put so many things on the table and then they'd end up taking them all off and all, all the sort of hard work and creativity of making the tables look amazing would then just get shoved sort of on the ground or on the side and used to break my heart. And the other thing that I used to get quite a hard time from caterers about was making my flowers too tall. So I came up with this system, which is making a flower grid. And so what I do is I just have a really like a salad bowl or even something shallower, you know, like a sort of a shallow, a low fruit bowl or whatever. And that is going to be my vase. And then over the top of that, I will lay some branches from the garden, ideally straight branches. So like dogwood or hazel or even I could cut side branches off silver birch, whatever, strip the leaves. And I put that in a noughts and crosses grid spaced with holes in the noughts and crosses about an inch and a half across as a square. So I lay them out and then what I do, and I have, a, I have an overlay, so it comes over the edge of the, of the bowl. And then I get stuff called flexitai, and I'll explain why in a minute. And I tie those in a figure of eight knot at each of the junctions where the the bottom layer of wood is overlaid from the top layer of wood where they cross. And I tie each of those junctions as actually they're sitting on the bowl. And then if you tie all your knots going in the same direction, you can lift it off the bowl and you can concertina it away like a wine rack. So as long as all your knots have gone, let's say, from left to right all in the same direction, uh, all the junctions of the bits of wood, it constantinas away. If you do any from right to left, it then jars, it it sticks. And I just find that completely brilliant because then I've got my bowl, which is multi-purpose for salad or fruit or whatever, and then it's the vase, I fill it with water, and then I just go into the garden and I pick the most beautiful rose that day 
or a great strand of something like honeysuckle and perhaps some cup and saucer plant, the cabaya. And the longer and more trailing it is, the better. And then I just trail that either all the way down, if it's a rectangular table, all the way down the middle of the table, or if it's a round table, I, I sort of spread the tresses out in a sort of cartwheel. And just from a few stems, you can make the most beautiful arrangement. And I'll put the instructions of how to make a grid in the podcast notes. But it's just really, really quick and simple. And then I can fold that away and put it in the cutlery rack and I'll know that I'll have a grid to fit that same salad bowl for the rest of my life. And the reason I use FlexiTie is that if I want to store it, it means that as the wood structure, the noughts and crosses grid dries out, if I use twine, I used to find it they got loose because it shrinks, of course, the natural material as it dries. Whereas with FlexiTie, because it's slightly elastic, it pings back as the wood shrinks. So, you know, you can go to a grid that you made five years ago and it's still perfectly intact. Anyway, that's um, my main thing that I do if I have friends or family around for something to eat at this time of year. Quick, simple, the arrangement takes all of five minutes. What really about you? Nice. I'm, I'm a bit similar to you with the grid. If I'm really in a rush and if I need loads of vases, I just use jam jars and I just mm-hmm. get silver birch or willow crunch it up into the jam jar and mm. then exactly as you said if you've got lovely tendril things like honeysuckle and roses which you want long mm. i just shove a little crumple of of the branch into the jar and because it's you know a cylinder the yes. branch hell holds yes. and so the bit of honeysuckle just you know naturally nicely comes out rather than you know chucking Beautiful. itself out if it's not got the the little branches just to hold itself in place with so I really like doing that quickly. So it's like you doing the bowl only a bit mm. quicker with just say one thing. Yeah. Sometimes you might only just have a few things just to quickly do as a runner. And all for free that. Yeah. And also good for the environment because you're not using Oasis, yeah. but it's having the same effect, isn't it? Mm. Holding the stem in yeah, place. Yeah, I mean, exactly. The grid and, and using branches is our way now of, of, you know, it's the modern Oasis, isn't it? That's mm. good for everybody and better for flowers because as we all know, flowers will last longer in water. So that's the the big thing. But I know you, you will have perch your tables with runners of things in pots. It's not always mm. about cutting, is it? And you, you've been genius at that. And you've made me love things like scented pelargoniums, which are very happy in, in small pots over the summer. They're happy yeah. to be on the dry side. So it's lovely to have, you know, things like that in corners of the garden to then move on to your tables. Yeah. So, you know, treat your tables as as versatile stages. I mean, I'm constantly redoing the table I've got in my garden one minute it's full of pots keeping them off the floor safe from the slugs and then next mm. it's cleared and then it just allows the smaller pots to breathe yeah. you know treat your little pots as runners of things so in the spring we had viola tiger eye mm. all in little pots all the way down lovely and um, this winter I'm going to do your favorite salad leaf mustard red frills mustard yeah because um, I just think it looks so beautiful yeah. as, a, as a, a visual thing as well as being able to eat it yeah. Um, and it's cut and come again. Yeah. So the more you pick though. No, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, that, that sort of coming on to living table centres, so so not cut. I was really lucky three or four years ago before COVID hit to have a trip to South Africa in September, which is their spring, sort of late spring. It's equivalent to our kind of May. And um, I was just so struck by how many of their wild plants were absolutely thriving as they came out of the wet season into the hot season, so in relative drought. 
and scented pelargoniums. I mean, we saw so many wild pelargoniums that were just thriving in really arid conditions. And it made me realise, well, of course, when you see a plant like that, you know that it's pretty good and reliable in drought because, you know, if you see it in the wild and it's thriving and covered in flower and no one's been preening it or deadheading or watering it, you know, nature's doing it. And the other families that people tend to be really snooty about and call them the South African orange daisies, you know, things like the arctotis, mm. the venediums, the uh, osteospermums, you know, the calendulas, whatever. And uh, we've got a trial going on at the moment of gazanias. And again, all incredibly drought tolerant. I think they're, they're wonderful. And some of them do shut up if it's not sunny. So you need to work out which are the ones that do and which are the ones that don't. But in terms of living table centres, that you really don't need to give much TLC at all. They don't really need deadheading. I mean, you can deadhead them, but they don't. They don't need watering more than twice a week, even in the summer months. So they are in, incredibly helpful for that, I think. And you know, of course, anything scented is a lovely thing. And so the nemesias, so many again, another South African that I uh, wild plant that I saw lots of when I was there is the Nemesius and, um, and lots of them have lovely fragrance, drought tolerant, scented, long flowering, beautiful. And uh, you actually went to the, the Boar Colgrave open day, didn't you? Yeah. And selected these, uh, Arthur likes an Aristo. He selected three varieties called Lady This or Lady That. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just flowering. I wasn't thinking that. about that at the time, <laughs> just going on the collar and the look. <laughs> anyway, there's, Stunning. And uh, there's one called Lady Lisa, I think. It's absolutely stunning. It's sort of indigo blue and purple mm. with a slight fragrance. And it's on my doorstep at Petrol at the moment. And I lifted that up at the weekend and put it on the middle of, um, we had some people to supper and I, and that was the living table centre. It didn't, it, it literally took me 30 seconds to walk it from the doorstep yeah. onto the table. And a honey, sweet honey yes. dish, isn't it? Like your favourite traditional thing that you've always grown, heliotropes. Yes. Which are also fantastic for for pots on tables. Yeah. Because it's so nice to have that for people who, you know, if you've got guests around who aren't gardeners, they appreciate it so much more, don't they? Yeah. So that's what it's all about. And um, I went home at the weekend and my mum's taken to, every time she deadheads the roses, there's all little glass bowls all around her cottage with all these petals drying. And... Ah. um, it's really Pope interesting. Me. There's a rose that she's got called Fellowship and Lady Hamilton. Mm. And they're really keeping their, their orange tones. I don't Are know if it's because my mum's cottage is quite dark, but it's amazing. And, and the idea of having all these petals just to sprinkle, you know, across tables um, for parties and things, because confetti is so expensive when mm. you look at it. So save save your petals. How lovely. And, you know, if you really have got time and, you, you know, it's a special occasion, I think there's nothing nicer than you know, a pressed flower as a, a name placemat thing. I've never oh. done it for the record, but if I had lots of time, I'd consider doing that. And then everyone takes it Yeah, home. exactly. And mm. that's the kind of thing that people remember. And then they might think, oh, I'm going to try and grow, you know, that viola because it's mm. so beautiful. And sweet peas press though nicely as well, mm. uh, particularly the, the marbled types like Earl Grey and um, oh, the ones okay. that, yeah, they keep that veining of the purple. Do they? Yeah. Gosh, that's a good tip. Well, we must do a whole thing on pressing mm, flowers, I yeah. think, because that would be a, a lovely subject. And the other thing I know that it, it's both of us think it's quite fun to play with is to have edible flowers in ice cubes, mm. um, which, I mean, you mentioned right at the beginning. 
but you know borage is a classic and so you just get a good sized ice cube tray you know that gives you a decent size ice cube so you don't have to sort of cram them in and then you just pull the blue petals off the calyx at the back and just plop it into each one and it just again it just makes that gin and tonic look look that much more partyish doesn't it mm. and it actually takes no no time at all to do that kind of extra thing but people feel more loved because you've done it and uh, they they're so starry aren't they and you you know you can do calendula petals that are like sort of saffron strands but i think um i think the borage is one of the nicest because it's just got that lovely starry shape in both blue and white and you could actually sow a packet of that now literally and it will germinate and you'll be picking flowers right the way through september and october because of course it's a hardy annual so it'll take cold at the end of the year as well as take cold at the at the beginning of the year what other things are you doing to kind of make your yard feel partyish feel it partyish i've got my solar alliums who come on like clockwork and they have done all year uh all through the winter even if it was for an hour during the night but this time of year they're they're on at, like gusto at almost 10 o'clock yeah. and they go on and on and i love them i can just move them from pot to pot and so that every day they move. I love them because in the daytime they kind of almost disappear, which yes. I think is really important. Yes. I've also got, yes. speaking yes. of solar, and you're probably going to have to do a trial of this next year, a solar-powered air pump <gasps> for this little pond I've done. Wow. I love <laughs> I the love idea it. of that. <laughs> so I want fun. a solar propagator, <laughs> you know, like a horticultural electric blanket that doesn't need electricity. Yeah. Got a solar water yeah. pump. And on a hot day, I'm tempted to turn this dolly tub that I've got fish in, so I won't do it for the sake of the fish, but it looks so inviting. It bubbles like one of those foot spas. Oh, so if wow. you didn't have fish in it, you could use it as a foot, you know, a cooling <laughs> foot spa if you wanted to. But I, I never remember, pedicure. I remember there were a few at Chelsea, but they were also um, at the Tower of London because that's been done for London Blooming, hasn't it? By Nigel Dunnett. He's got these huge copper like bird baths, they're gigantic size of this table we're talking at today almost. Mm. And, um, you know, if you could get one of these solar bubble air pumps in the middle of it, it would look really beautiful. Yeah. And um, it it was amazing. I'd done this dolly tub and the water had started to go green and this thing came in the post. And within two days, the water just looked so much more healthy. Oh, wow. I love the um, idea of that. Yeah. And I've, I've been amazed even on a dull day. But anyway, that's that's bubbling water. We probably want to focus more on lights. But the allium lights, the only lights I've really got in my garden. But I know you've mm. got lots more. Yeah, I like them. And as solar, I mean, I never quite believe that they're going to work, but they really do work. And it's extraordinary. As soon as it gets dark, they've got this light sensor. And as soon as it gets light, they come on. Now, obviously now in early August, the days are beginning to get shorter. But if you want them to light up earlier, you can just put a little bit of card over mm. the the light sensitive panel and then they'll light up earlier so you can sort of manipulate them as long as they're charged and then you need to remember to take that off so it then charges through the following day to give you light that following night but I find them really versatile and jolly and you know and quite natural actually I mean I, I like just the chains that I, I scatter along through the edge of the path with the box balls because it's not like a sort of whacking great beam light it's just like really really delicate light almost like sort of phosphorescence or you know what are those amazing flies that you get in 
in Italy, I've seen them that come up at night and they've, they've got the, their bums are lit up, they're electric. <laughs> um, and I love the idea of that. Fireflies, they're yeah. called, aren't they? They're amazing. And I like that delicacy. I don't want something sort of stonking and big, but yeah. just a little bit of sort of almost like a constellation of, of little lights, I think looks beautiful. And then what, what about, uh, I love those wax globes too, but you have to be careful with those because what I find is if I put a, even a tea light in the base of one, they can melt really easily. And so I do that old-fashioned tip of putting loads of rice in the bottom of either a paper bag, a brown paper bag, or one of the wax globes. So the brown paper bag are free. And you can use grit, but rice is good too. And then I just put a tea light in the, in the middle of, uh, of the bag or the globe. And, and they give this wonderful, gentle, radiant light, um, like a sort of really lovely warm lantern mm-hmm. and um, I think I think those look really pretty as well as jam jars scattered on a wall just with with lights in them so it's all it's about flowers scents light and then of course food <laughs> not not perhaps your favorite subject well I do love I love them um, because we're in August but as the nights get a bit colder you've mentioned cold drinks but for hot hot tea I love lemon verbena I've just bought two mm. Quite big plants, to be honest, because I didn't overwinter any of them, but I'm going to overwinter these because I wanted them to be mature enough just to immediately start doing the tea from them. And we've already started having it. It's the most beautiful stuff. Um, So the idea of having that on an autumn night sat out in the garden, I really am looking forward to, to be honest. Really nice, Um, really nice. I know you've got massive bushes of it, haven't you? Yeah, because with us at Perch Hill on the south-facing wall, it's hardy. Yeah. So we actually have one in the greenhouse, but I'm, I'm thinking of moving it out because... It does give you a little bit more picking into the winter because it sheds its leaves later, but it is deciduous, mm. so it will shed its leaves. And it looks a bit of an eyesore in the greenhouse when it's absolutely bare. it's just a stump. Yeah. Cut it back and just got a desert-like yeah, stump. Yeah, it just doesn't look. So I'm going to move it out, I think. And then dry it. You know, that's the thing is one of yeah. the verveine, you know, the sort of classic French tea is um, is just dried lemon verbena leaves. And, and it's mm. so easy to do. Um, you can just hang up a branch, you know, anywhere sort of warm and well aerated or, you know, with good air circulation and it dries. And then you can just store them in a in a jam jar with a with a, a lid on it and uh, that'll keep them dry. And in terms of um, food, I think when we're moving sort of, you know, it's still summer, but we're moving into autumn. I really love cooking warm salads. And one of the things I think I'm going to cook this weekend is... I've sown lots of salads already and August is a really great, great time to start sowing your salads. And those will take us through until October. And then in September, I'll sow again, which will take us right through the winter. And so I've just been sowing, just as you said, red frills mustard, Mm. red giant mustard, which is the really wasabi one. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for more gentle, I'm going to do Mitsuna in red and green and then I've got to have a base of lettuce and some rocket. And so I've got this really lovely sort of baby leaf salad, just almost ready for picking. And that's going to be my base. And then over the top of that, for those who eat meat, we still, some of us in our family still eat meat, some don't. I just griddle uh, one steak between all of us, like a sirloin steak, and then I cut it really, really finely. And I let it rest so it's back at room temperature. And I scatter that over one plate of those salad leaves. And on the other, for the vegetarians, I just steam slices of sweet potato 
And I cook them in a steamer for about five minutes. And then I griddle them on a hot griddle pan. So they get these, those nice stripes that you get for two or three minutes on either side. And so for the veggie plate, I've got the sweet potato. For the non-veggie plate, I've got the beef, but quite meanly served. You know, you really don't need me very much. And over the both of them, I then top them with a ginger, soy and sesame seed dressing. And so I just shove in the food processor a good lump of ginger that I've peeled with a teaspoon. I'm sure you all know about that because that gets into the, all the nooks and crannies and it wastes much less than peeling ginger with a knife. And some fresh coriander, which is just germinating at the moment. Plenty of tamari or soy sauce and a little dash of a toasted sesame oil. And I just dress the whole thing with that and then scatter more fresh coriander over the top. And so I've got the veggie and the non-veggie, and then I'll serve that with some just lifted uh, new pink fur apple potatoes. And it's completely delicious, uh, really simple, really quick, and everybody always loves it. So any more tips for final summer parties? Oh, well, I want to ask you how to grow coriander because mine's all been killed on its first harvest. Have I oh. harvested it wrong? Okay. So coriander is a herb that you want to sow on the shoulders of the year. So like spinach, it doesn't like it really hot or really cold. And so it likes it ideally between March and early May and between mid-August and mid-October. And those are its real thriving times. And it's got big seed, as you know, because coriander seed. And so I tend to sow mine in a gutter pipe and then just push out seedlings. But you could, in the in the flower yard, I mean, in your yard, you could just literally... Sprinkle. Yeah, sprinkle okay. some straight in the pot. I mean, it's a really good one for, for sowing now, actually. Yeah. And it will then crop all the way through. And the key thing is don't cut it too close to the ground. So right, I yeah. tend to pick it by hand. So just picking individual stems, but always leaving the heart of the plant intact. So taking the outer leaves, but leaving the heart intact is what I tend to do. And that way, yeah, you should really get a good harvest. And if you've got a greenhouse or a cold frame or a polytunnel, bring it in, dig it up, bring it in, and you will then be able to go on picking lightly right the way through the winter. So yeah, coriander is is one for now, really, or the spring, but not for sowing, you know, August, September, or as I say, March and April are the times to sow it. Thanks for listening to that episode of Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange. Next week, I'm not with Sarah, but she's going to be, well, for part of the episode, I'd imagine, under the sea. But then in the kitchen with a wonderful fish chef talking about his recipes and his new book, Mitch Tonks. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahoven.com.